so that's going to be the next three weeks. But right now, I'm going to invite my co-pastor and co-host this morning. Let me grab one of the chairs. As you might have seen over uh, our socials or um, as we talked about it the last few uh, weeks, we decided that we were going to put in a different Sunday today. So hi, Beck. Hello. Good morning, everyone. How are we doing? Good. I felt, yeah, I felt like there was a lot more laughing here than that response, but <laughs> cool. All I right. think I talked about pain and suffering. Oh, yeah, true. Sorry, I missed, I missed the... Read the room, Rebecca. Read the room. All right. People are in pain, Rebecca. <laughs> Sorry, I just threw you off, didn't I? You did, But, yes, you know, we, we, uh, we had over the last five weeks, four weeks, five weeks, um, talked about preparing our home and we focus on Acts chapter 2 verses 42 to 47, work through it very slowly, probably the slowest we walk through a passage. Yeah, um, I've loved it. I don't know about you, but I love that we went at that pace. And, um, and I hope that that was really helpful. But today we want to probably move from a more kind of zoomed in perspective of the early yes. church. And we want to talk a bit more about our church and also their church a little bit and calling a conversation about the church and um, so that's what we're going to explore we've got a bunch of questions and thank you for those who sent through your questions you helped us to kind of understand what are some don't send any more in you can take that off Just, we're not no. that we are not <laughs> not answering your not questions anymore we've got plenty of questions to work through yes, um and so i'm going to kick off yeah, go on. So awesome. one of the things we talked about the early church, right? Uh, in Acts 2, 42 to 47, we talked about what happened there. So how did we get from there to where we are today, where there's so many denominations um, and so many different fellowships and movements? Um, in fact, Pentecostalism doesn't actually call itself a denomination specifically. Uh, we use the terms movement, fellowship, yeah. um, uh, spin-off. We did not use the word spin-off. We're not a spin-off. We are, oh, that spin-off church over there at Kensington PCYC. Um, but yeah, we've got so many churches, right? How did that happen? How did we go from one church in Jerusalem to where we are today? And um, just, so this is going to be super quick. This is not all the details, but it gives you the big key milestones of church history. Uh, we've started diving into church history. It is crazy stuff. It's really good. And we might do a whole thing on it next time. But um, already in the book of Acts, we can see that there was big persecution of the early church in Jerusalem. And that's what uh, caused the church to scatter across the world. Uh, you know, we had all these missionaries, uh, especially Paul in particular, that went and set up churches all across um, the world. Um, but what we need to also understand is that the persecution intensified, especially in Jerusalem, to the point in AD 70, there was the destruction of the temple. Um, and at that point, uh, church history seems to indicate that the whole church kind of went, we can't be in Jerusalem. In fact, I think most Jews would kind of go, we can't be in Jerusalem. That was how bad it was. Uh, it was called the sacking of Jerusalem. The temple was completely destroyed. Every stone was pulled off other stones as Jesus had uh, prophesied. And so the church actually spread really far. And then in um, 300 years of persecution, people, 300 years of persecution, more than your lifetime, <laughs> more than my lifetime, more than, I don't know, five of my lifetimes, four, maybe four. For my lifetimes, uh, a Roman emperor named Constantine, he actually converted to Christianity, and this is what he did. In AD 313, he decriminalized Christianity, 
which is like, oh yeah, cool. Christianity was a criminal act yes. in the Roman Empire. How cool is that? <laughs> I'm not picking up what you're Read the Rome, Rebecca. <laughs> so it was a criminal thing to be a Christian all the way up to 313 AD. It's crazy. It's more like 250 years um, since Jesus' death. Um, but um, a quick note, some people therefore use that argument to say that um, Christianity is Constantine's kind of like bastard child. Yeah, That's yeah. not the case. He decriminalized Christianity because he converted to Christianity. He, read the story, it's kind of weird. He had this vision from God, per se, to put a cross on his shield and that would bring him victory, and it did. And so he converted, and he was like, who's this, who's this person that came to me in my dreams? Oh, it's Jesus, and he converted. Anyway, um, but he did give personal wealth um, to the church, and obviously being an ally of the church, it didn't make the church really powerful. But understand this, this was after 300 years of severe persecution. You want to be a Christian? You're going to be a flaming light post in the Roman Empire. Literally, light you on fire, put you on a stake so that you can light the streets at night. After 300 years of that kind of persecution, now you're like decriminalized and you've got someone giving you some cash. It's kind of nice. It's not, it's, it's, yeah. um, and it's only in 380 AD that Christianity became the official religion of Rome. And um, to be honest, that had good and bad effects on the church. The good thing is that it actually gave the church resources um, to call what we know as councils, to establish things like the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, Without the Roman backing, um, there probably wouldn't have been a resource to pull the key Christians together to have these discussions. And so we have a lot of the foundations of our faith um, uh, from those councils. Uh, in fact, I was thinking next year maybe we'll do uh, a series on creeds. Yeah, love it. Not that character in... Um, in um, yeah, anyway. Um, Rocky, that's the one. Uh, but our Christian faith creeds. Um, so there were some of the good things. It established certain very key things in our church as foundations. However, it also, being the official religion, meant that being a priest, a bishop, um, uh, the Pope, would be a very powerful position. And that meant that there was corruption and some very severe, terrible pers- uh, uh, corruption in the Roman church. And that kind of was the way that church ran until 1517. That's a long time, um, nearly 1,200 years. And that's where the Reformation took place. And that's the beginning of Protestantism. Uh, we call it Protestantism because uh, it was a protest against the uh, Roman Catholic uh, Church. And uh, one of the key figures is Martin Luther. And what he did is that he wrote something called the 95 Thesis and he nailed it to his um, uh, church's door and it listed 95 ways that the Catholic Church had walked away from the true faith and the true doctrine. Um, and so he, that broke off and actually formed um, churches under the umbrella of Protestantism. And that was in 1517. And over the last 500 years, all of these Protestant churches have then kind of gone, uh, we don't have one pope, we don't actually have one ruling body over this whole church. And so it kind of democratized Christianity to some extent. Um, And in that way, as people uh, had different bents and different revelations about uh, the Word of God and how we're supposed to live, that's why we have different denominations. 
For example, I came from a Methodist tradition growing up, and that came from John Wesley and, and, and the Wesley Bros. And they came from a Puritan tra uh, tradition, and so they methodized Christian faith, and you're supposed to be practicing all of these things. Um, you know, you have the Lutherans that came from Luther. Uh, you have uh, the Presbyterians that came from the, the Presbyters. <laughs> Um, and, and all of these the, um, different denominations because we don't have one ruling body like the Roman Catholics do, as in the Pope. And so, um, in particular, our church is part of a Pentecostal movement, um, and Pentecostalism has been um, in the world for uh, about 130 years. Um, so it's a very young movement in, in, in terms of Christianity, but we take up 25% of Protestant Christians across the whole world. We are now the biggest um, Christian brand, if you will, across the world. Uh, and uh, how it came about is that there was a renewal of um, this uh, a desire for the Holy Spirit as described in the book of Acts in particular uh, on the day of Pentecost, and that's why we're called Pentecostal uh, churches. But interestingly to me, the early days of Pentecostalism, churches where they, you know how churches have a bit of a tendency to name themselves a certain way? In Perth, we had Christian life centers all over the place. <laughs> Perth Christian Life Center, Gerowene Christian Life Center, Joondalup Christian Life Center, Sunset Coast Christian Life Center, and Christian Life Center was a thing. In the early days, Pentecostalism used the words full, uh, full gospel, full gospel assemblies. And there's a reason for it, because they thought that uh, as part of this renewal of the Holy Spirit, that the, um, the churches uh, had this understanding of the Word of God, but maybe not the full gospel without the Holy Spirit. And so we need to bring the Holy Spirit in. And so they called themselves full gospel. And so that's been gone. Um, so like I said, big overview, but that's where things have come from. There are a few really interesting milestones along the way. Um, and I took it longer than two minutes. <laughs> That's my bad. So hopefully there's a bit of interesting uh, facts about how the church went and how we got to this point um, today. Um, but we're going to talk a little bit more, zoom in now on um, the church and maybe a lot more on our church. And one of the things that we talked about over this series is that the early church was devoted to fellowship. Mm. And one of the questions we got is, Beck, What's the difference between fellowship and friendship? And friendship, yeah. Um, interestingly as well, we did a series on friendship earlier this year. So obviously the, you can you know, head back to those um, messages and things like that if you want to find more info and kind of thoroughly work on that side of friendship. But um, in doing a bit of research into this and obviously just observing life and life experiences, the key difference in fellowship and friendship is um, the fact that fellowship is rooted in Jesus Christ. Whereas friendship, with friendship, we tend to kind of gather around a common interest maybe or a common hobby, activity, something like that. And that's how we tend to form our friendships. But with fellowship, we come around Jesus Christ. And so it's actually more of a question of identity. We are all in Christ and therefore we have fellowship. So in 1 John 1, 7, it says, If we walk in the light as he, being Jesus, is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And mm. so there's this idea of we can only have fellowship really with our fellow Christians because we have this same source of light. Jesus is the fount, if you will, of light. And so when we yeah. walk in it, that's how we can actually have fellowship with one another. 
And so obviously, um, you know, there would be at times, because we do read in the Word of God as well, times where um, we aren't able to have fellowship with a fellow believer. And so in 2 John 9 to 11, it talks about um, not being in fellowship with people who walk contrary to the teaching of Christ. And so there's this idea of, and I think we're all pretty familiar with this, how you can have the label of Christian or maybe you're born into Christianity. Maybe there's, um, you know, you sort of got the label, you know, people with the label, but whether their life actually takes on the teaching of Jesus Christ, that's a whole nother thing. So, you know, as we walk in Jesus's teaching, we're walking the light. And so fellowship happens that way. But if someone's walking contrary to that, then we can't. I feel like I'm saying contrary in a very weird way. How do you say it? Contrary. Yeah, for me it just sounds weird. Anyway, so that's one of the examples found. Just hearing myself say it, I'm like, oh. Um, and then there's another example in 1 Corinthians 5.11, how it talks about um, not being in fellowship with a person who's professing to be a brother or sister in Christ, but they're living immorally, um, they're living in idolatry, they're a drunkard and a thief. So very specific things there um, of, you know, they're actually people that we aren't to have fellowship with. Now, what that looks like on the ground, super messy. Like, <laughs> I, was, I was actually thinking about this and playing it out in my mind where it's like, if you know maybe somebody has this habit of stealing and they walk into your church, is it that like, you know, we're all over on this side and they're just like over there in the corner. Excommunicated. Excommunicated. Like they're here, but, you know, none of us are, are fellowshipping, like hanging out with them and caring for them and spending time. So it's really quite messy and I think that's where at Lyft um, we do like to get to know people one-on-one. Um, -on -one. You know, one of our statements is where your name matters. And it's this whole idea mm. of we like to go on a journey with people and so... Obviously, yeah, there are these clear lines, but we also want to help restore, help redeem, which is also found in the Word of God, that, mm. you know, if we actually work to restore and redeem um, a fellow brother or sister in Christ, that's actually a really good thing. Mm. There's blessing in that. Would you then say that fellowship is kind of where you're assuming that you are going to exchange and share mm. values and yeah. life? Yeah, definitely. I think... Um, but that's a tricky part as well because I, I have unbelieving friends and I do share some common values with them, right? But the key difference is that if they don't have Christ, then they're not going to have a source of hope. They're not going to have a source of peace. And even the um, definition of love that we draw from God is mm. different from what um, my unbelieving friends would draw from, right? And so, yes, there are these common values to a certain extent, I would say. But um, when... Obviously, we have fellowship with people. There's the very key values that we hold to, which really define our lives. And so it looks, um, yeah, there's a depth to fellowship, I think, and a depth to the kind of relationship you can have with people you're in fellowship in versus people you sort of have friendship with, but they're not um, rooted in Christ. But I would say that the practices of fellowship and friendship look very similar. You know, it's a lot of... Um, Spending time together, quality time together. It's caring for one another. It's serving each other. Um, it's practicing hospitality. All of those different things. So in action, it sometimes doesn't look very different. So <laughs> I was going to say yeah. that if we practice true fellowship, mm. we will probably become friends as well, wouldn't we? Yeah, absolutely. I think we'll find those points of bonding and 
like those overlapping interests and things mm. like that. So yeah. yeah. So as you looked into this, it's two in one, I guess. Um, and what are some ways that we practice fellowship at Lyft, mm. or how should we? Practice fellowship at Lyft. Yeah, for sure. I think, um, so practicing fellowship, it extends to this right here. So we are in fellowship. We come regularly. We hear Welcome. teaching. We worship together. We pray together. We pray for one another. Um, we practice hospitality, literally. Like we have a hospitality team led by the amazing Beck. Um, and so that creates a space where we can have fellowship, where we can share our life with one another. And, um, you know, a few messages back I taught about how um, the early church would break bread with one another. That's an act of fellowship as well, having communion with one another, but also just talking about life stuff, you know, the things that aren't going right in our life. Fellowship is the space for that in particular. Mm. And, and for me, I've always been encouraged kind of bringing that side of myself or side of my life to the fellowship space because I know that with some friends, yeah, there's comfort in that, but um, I think there's a depth of comfort and a depth of um, life-giving encouragement that you can find in these mm. places of fellowship rather than yeah. friendship. I guess yeah. one of the ways that we're really discussing this, we kind of understood that when it comes to relationships, there often is a spectrum yeah. that is captured in one word. Mm. So, for example, um, we can say that two people are married to, together, they have a marriage, but it doesn't necessarily define whether they have a healthy, close friend, uh, friendship, <laughs> and marriage, or whether they are, is a marriage a convenience, for example. Um, and, and maybe there are also certain realities that we had to deal with in World War II. Um, many young women got married because if they didn't, they would get raped. Um, or put they into needed the protection and the covering from yeah. having a husband. But yeah. does that mean that they didn't have a marriage? No, they did have a marriage, but there's a spectrum of dedication, perhaps, that people can give. Yeah. And so we can say that we have a fellowship automatically because we are all Christians and share the same values yes. and that yeah. we do things that are fellowshipping, mm -hmm. but the depth of connection and commitment that we have might not necessarily... Uh, be yes. indicated yeah. we are fellows um, mm -hmm. in a simple statement and it's something that we have to work on yeah absolutely um just yeah i guess a side point to that is yeah a spectrum absolutely um obviously the more time we spend more quality time we spend with people and and doing life together then the closer we're going to get um but even in friendship there are those different layers as well of um you know you have your inner circle and that tends to be only for a few people and then there's a circle outside of that where there might be people that you do life with regularly but they're not those inner circle people who you sort of um you know as christians you would confess your sin to you would um you know bring them in on those really private matters of your life and those kinds of things mm. um and then there's an outer ring of more serviceable relationships so they're the people that you serve and they may serve you but in terms of personal connection the matters of the heart you might not explore that much with them um so that's I've actually found that really useful in thinking about my friendships um, and whenever I've sort of gotten stuck of how to relate in certain c circumstances, just looking at those um, concentric circles, I guess, and seeing where people fall mm. in that. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. End note. <laughs> <laughs> Am I asking myself my oh question? Oh, yeah, I'll ask you your question. Awesome. <laughs> so... This is a good one. The early church seemed so organic and relational. Should this not be the way churches are run today? Ooh. 
past an eight. What do you think? I don't know. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> what do you think? Um, I think one of the things that we need to understand in Acts chapter 2, what we were reading about, you might not say it was even a church. It was a bunch of, it was a sect of Judaism. That's how they actually saw themselves. Yeah. They didn't see themselves as a church. They weren't organized as a church. Um, they just saw themselves as we are Jews who practice Judaism. But we have this revelation that the Messiah that Judaism is anticipating has come, and his name is Jesus. And now we're going to function around the person of Jesus and his particular teaching that came from the apostles, and so that's what they did. However, as the church continued to grow and the rest of Judaism saw, no, 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 you're not one of us, they had a breaking off, and it was only a little bit later that they were known as Christians, as we read about in Acts. It was in Antioch that they were first known as Christians. And so as we also start to see, when you read the book of Acts, the early church continued to grow, and they seemed to also add different functions and different ways of doing things. Uh, like, for example, they started feeding the widows, um, a feeding program. The, a and when they did that, over time, the program grew large. And what did they do? They organized mm. themselves, put in, leadership. put in leadership, put in a team, so that the work would continue. And also, uh, it says that so that the people who are teachers um, and apostles, uh, people who uh, are the leaders of this early church, were going to be able to devote themselves to the teaching and to prayer. Yeah. Is what it says. And so what we probably need to understand is that the organic part is a natural thing when you have a small group of people that come together and feel kindred, kindredness. And so they do things and it's all done through, oh, did you hear what this person said? And this person said this and this. And, and you can actually organize things quite easily because there are enough connection points. However, when the church gets larger, um, and that's something that we talked about last week. The church should get larger. I think that there doesn't, doesn't mean that we keep growing perpetually. I think that after it grows to a certain point, maybe you send people out to do certain works and etc. Um, but there's a certain organization that needs to take place. One of my roles at the state exec is to help smaller churches um, organize their governance. Why? Because we operate in Australia. If any person understands the governance aspect of Australia, you will know that there are 15 million layers of checks and balances that the government has put in. And so, for example, uh, we have an insurance policy so that if one of you slips and falls down, you can't sue us and make us bankrupt. We are covered. But that's the kind of world that we live in where you need to have those kinds of checks and balances. Um, and, and so we are a non-profit charity um, that is um, set up with the ACNC. And some of it is that if you do these things well, there are certain benefits from the government as well. When, as a, with the status of non-profit, it allows us to be able to access certain resources that allows us to operate effectively. So the whole point of this is that the church needs to be organized according to its place and its mission. Uh, the church needs to understand its mission because if you understand its mission, then you understand how organized it needs to be. If you don't have a mission and all the job, if our job is to simply just love whoever's in the room, we don't need to be organized at all. And there are many churches that are organized that way. In fact, in church history, 
for a long time, especially in Europe, right, particularly in Europe, because the whole place was considered Christian, pastors got their title, I, I believe, they got the title pastor rather than apostle, teacher, prophet, whatever, because everyone considered themselves Christians. And so they all attended church. And so the pastor's job didn't have a missional aspect because their whole job was to pastor the flock. And so we are still called pastors to this day because we inherited this Western tradition of calling leadership pastors. However, we understand now, especially in Australia, with the census that just come out, are probably, well, the minority now. We actually have a mission now. <laughs> we actually do need to understand that we are not just organized for us to care for you, but to also care for our communities and to do that. And so we need to be organized in order to do those things. Um, Jürgen Moltmann, uh, someone I'm reading at the moment, wrote this. What we have to learn from them is not that the church has a mission, but the very reverse, that the mission of Christ creates its own church. Mission does not come from the church. It is from mission and in the light of mission that the church has to be understood. So Live Church doesn't have a mission, according to Maltman, as much as the church was birthed through mission. And when we think back to when we first planted Live, we did not want to organize, we did not want to have a congregation, per se. We did not want to just have a Sunday meeting, and that's it. We wanted to impact the town of Victoria Park. That was a local mission, and, and we're still trying to work that out. We're still wanting to do more of that, and that's the whole point of it. it without organization, we would not be able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, the church needs to, in, in the sense of, but this is one, uh, backtrack. One of the things about relationships is that you can never demand relationships. So we can say that we are in fellowship, but that might be a really... If you don't do the work of it. Like, if you don't do the work of it, you don't have it. No. Yeah. Well, you have a weak form of it. Yeah. And so that is something that is really important, that our church is organised because there are things that need to be done. And that's what the early church did. They organised themselves because there's work to be done. And at the same time, what I think we see is that the church was also devoted to relating and coming together. And a part of that is possibly what the um, culture of the day was, that they were far more collectivistic and that's what they did. Um, uh, but I think that's something that we need to understand, that we cannot formally make you friends. You will be friends. <laughs> no. We, we watched a movie last night about uh, a war movie about an outpost and there were two soldiers oh, yeah. that were fighting and they ended up needing to kneel in front of each other. And, and what were they doing? They, they literally, like, they were told they had to hug each other and just be saying, I love you. <laughs> I love you. I love you. It's like, stand there and do it. I love you. We won't do that to you. Oh, really? That's what, that's what we're saying. We're not going to do that. Should we try at least? Maybe we need to try formalizing so our relationships in this church. Like, which of you are enemies? Come on. Who doesn't like who? Get together. Oh, Jesse like and Lisa, that's come on. Good. Let's <laughs> These guys are ready to go. Awesome. And that's, that's something that we need to realize that the church cannot make you friends. We can do things together to give opportunities for 
friendship to form, but we cannot formally make people friends. And so the church will necessarily always have an organic relational element because we are people and an organized element because we have a mission. And I think that's the way that I've kind of seen it. But it also kind of talks, uh, like, comes to the next question. What is the role of pastors of the church versus every Christian's or family member's responsibility? Yeah. Um, there's a whole lot we could say about this, and I reckon it could be a good series Another because, series. yeah, there's just so much in this question. But if I were to nutshell it, the pastors... Nate and I, we're here to equip you. And a lot of that time, that is equipping you with understanding of the word of God, with the gospel, so that you can actually go out and be sharers of the gospel and live a life that shares the gospel as well. Um, that, that would be, in a nutshell, what our role would be. And then, so obviously, your role as people who are a part of the church is to, when you, when we we've gathered, then we scatter, um, it's bringing the gospel into your world. Um, but at the same time, there is the love of the church as well. That's actually something that we're commanded to do as Christians. So it's two main focuses I see in the Word of God where it's love for the church, so love for your brothers and sisters in Christ, and then it's actually loving the world, bringing the gospel um, out out there where it's needed. So so that would be in a nutshell. But there was a bit of a there was a question that was sent in to that sort of relates to this. And the question was, what can Lyft and the church as a whole do to be more proactive when it comes to tackling environmental issues such as climate change? Can we honestly say as Christians that the church is doing enough to preserve God's creation? So a part of this was the whole um, uh, thing of, you know, in the media we see that the church has um, a loud voice sometimes when it comes to certain social issues like abortion and um, what's some other real current Gay ones? Gay marriage. Gay marriage. Gender and issues. Gender issues, yeah. So um, we're seen as loud and, you know, we've got our stance and things like that. But often it's because um, the media is attracted to those things because we can be seen in, you know, the worst light. Because um, obviously we believe in life, but life looks different to what people believe in the world. And so they love to talk about the church in those kinds of ways because it makes us look bad, I guess. Um, but so it means that we don't actually hear a lot about the good things that Christians are doing. And I love that this question's like, yeah, what about climate issues? And, you know, more and more I'm actually <laughs> getting more passionate about environmental issues because it's true. God has commanded us to steward creation to actually love it he created it in love God is the God of love right and he created the world and so he loves the world um, that includes creation and it includes humanity and so I believe that as Christians we should have a certain level of respect for our um, for creation and to steward it well however that looks like for us individually in our homes in our families um, but yeah I love this question because I, I know that there are groups out there there are Christian groups all around the world who are actually um, at the forefront of creation care. Things are happening. It's just you don't really hear about it in the media at all. And honestly, it just takes a quick Google to see all of these different groups that are set up to be devoted to that very um, act in, in protecting the climate and looking into things like climate change and things like that. But it sort of just brings me back to um, the function of the church and, um, and how we can have different... Uh, different things that we sort of focus on as churches. As Nate mm. mentioned before in, in the history part, um, that 
Churches have different accents. I want to call it accents. We're all about making Jesus known, declaring the gospel, saying Jesus is alive. But our outworking of that looks different from house to house. And that's why you have some churches that look so different from each other. And in that, there are some things that certain churches are going to be passionate about. Not to say that, you know... So if they're passionate about, um, you know, the rights of women and unborn children, they can't be passionate about climate issues. Tends to not be the case. But it, sorry, it tends to be the case that there's sort of a focus because really we know in our personal lives as well as in our life as a church that if you're pulling in all sorts of directions, the work that you can actually achieve is very limited. Um, and so as churches, we sort of have these... I guess, um, key focuses, might have a few, but those are the ones that we feel called to really invest mm. into. Um, and so if that sort of kind of clears up the question a little bit for the person who asked. But yeah, different churches have different things that they're going to focus on, called by God to actually minister into. And here at Lyft, we're really, well, we're sort of um, still, I think, discovering our accent to, to the fullest extent. But the things that we've landed on are... Um, being supports to the family unit, I, I definitely feel that in the world, you know, the family unit is not something that is supported, is not um, something that is um, seen as even a noble thing anymore. I think everyone is sort of in life for themselves. There's, there's this individualism, this selfishness, but here at Lyft, we really believe in family. We believe that we are better mm. together and we believe that family units need to be supported, whatever they look like. Like mm -hmm. for us, we our family was born through adoption um, and so we really want to be in those spaces that no matter what your family looks like, whether it's through adoption or foster care or biological or however else, um, we want to be in that space supporting families and, and bring bringing the gospel to yeah. them. So and there are a few more things that we do, but that's sort of one that's really current for mm. us. And yeah. yeah, and maybe yeah. giving another perspective on this. When we started Lyft, we wanted to um, think about, um, in particular, international mission partners that we could yes. come alongside. Yeah. And we got a list mm. of all the different yeah. mission work that our movement alone, ACCI, is doing. And we looked at all of them and said, how the heck yeah, how do, you do you choose? Yeah. Yeah. Which one of these amazing works <laughs> we are meant to support? Mm. It's kind of crazy. There is so much work that the church is doing. And one of the things in church history is that the church is actually one of the most active um, support networks yeah. in any community. Yeah. We've set up schools. We've set up um, yeah. education. We've set up um, hospitals. Mm -hmm. um, and orphanages, you know, does have a certain reputation now. But back in the day, it was probably something that was a lot more required um, and, and all of that. And so how do we learn what to do? And that's probably one of the things that we want to say, that our job is to equip the saints for the work. And if God has put something on your heart yes. specifically, then you need to do something about it. Yeah. And maybe a part of it is us trying to come alongside to resource and to help you yeah. in whatever way uh, that we can uh, with the resources that we've got. But if for you, this person who wrote this question in um, is passionate about helping the church understand the climate change issues and what we can do, yes. great. Yeah. Let's put some work together. Yeah. Let's produce blog posts. Let's look at the practices of live. What are some yeah. things that we want to, uh, the changes that we can make yeah. um, uh, in order to support that? Like anyone can 
come to us and say, hey, I'm really passionate about this. What can we do about mm. it? We can't promise that we can do everything. Yeah. I was going to say, that's so exciting. Like whenever we hear of people with, you know, their different passions and things like that. Because for me, it, it shows that God is inviting you into his big story of how he wants to restore and redeem this earth. And I just get so excited when people come up to us and share what's going on for them. Mm. Um, and absolutely, we want to be behind you and um, resource you as much as we can. Yeah. 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 And that's why we also love doing these um, Q&A type mornings because getting your questions helps us know what are some aspects of church life that maybe we need to look into. We will have our focuses personally and our blind spots. I love social science, interacting with theology. That's my space. I love that space. I could camp there for the rest of my life and be completely happy. Some of you might get bored of it. Well, go to a different church. <laughs> no, please stay. Um, uh, but that's, that's my thing. I've, I've spent time studying this and working in this. Yeah. You might have a, a certain studying bent that could actually add so much to our church mm-hmm. because God has gifted you um, to be a solution um, in this world. I guess very practically, like you sort of made it sound like every single month we're going to be talking about those kinds of issues, which is not the case. Um, As Nate mentioned before, that whole concept of full gospel, we are full gospel believing Christians, Nate and I. And so what we want to do is, is help church to equip like equip you with the full gospel and so obviously that's going to take time that's going to take years whatever we teach but our heart really is for the full account of the gospel not um just like picking and choosing those areas of interest nathaniel um (laughs) i feel attacked here (laughs) like the end times did you say (laughs) well if you're interested in the end times you have done a really great study on revelations and it's been amazing i think you should do that next year there you go you've got a fan over there awesome i feel so attacked this morning all right do we have time for one more question i don't know yeah 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 let's do it okay let's do it hey one more all right how often Mm -hmm. should the church be meeting the early church met every day we're not doing that what does that mean we're failing it means that we're failing All right, let's go. <laughs> um, what does that mean? Well, I think that the church should be meeting as often as necessary. And that's the whole idea of the organized versus the relational church. When we organize, it's because we organize based on the mission and what we are sensing. We need to scaffold and build and strengthen. So, yes, we do organize family dinners because relationships are important. Um, but at the same time, if you have it on your heart to make more friends. Do it. Do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's absolutely important. Um, you see, a church that doesn't meet enough could mean that people are too loosely held together, like everyone's in their own space. And so there needs to be enough organized meetings so that people come together. Like how many of you would know each other if you didn't come to Lyft? Most of us in this room would not have much in common except that we go to the same church. And therefore, that's how the relationship is built. And so the organized supports the relational in that kind of a way. However, uh, at the same time, um, the mission of every disciple means that we can't be gathering all the time. You have your jobs, you have your families, 
um, you have education, you have all of these different aspects, and maybe some of your mission is, is actually not all within the organized uh, part of the church. For example, we've got chaplains in this church, and a part of their work in the community is fantastic. We don't want to take that away uh, uh, from, from what people are doing, teachers, engineers, whatever you're doing, that's also part of your spiritual mandate. Um, it isn't that, oh, the church organizer is spiritual. I'm getting paid for this is not spiritual anymore. No, no, no. Everything we do, for from him comes all things. Yeah. For to him yeah. goes all things. Yeah. So all of my life goes to God. Yeah. Um, and so we need to also make space for people to be able to be Christians in the community. Last week we spoke about opening up your shop front as part of the message where are people able to find Christians in their life if God is wanting to add to the church? If we're just meeting in here Mondays to Sundays, would that mean that you're missing out on relationships and spaces that you're meant to be in um, to bring the gospel? And that's something that we are always discussing. Oh, is that too many meetings? Is we haven't gathered enough? Or the family doesn't feel like we've had fun together for a while? And we're discussing all of these things. What does the Bible say? The Bible says that we should not neglect meeting together. That's Hebrews 10.25. However, there's no specification from the Bible on how often. There isn't a biblical principle of the number. And I think part of the issue is that when you put a number on it, people end up doing it as checkbox Christianity. I've attended church, I've attended church, I've attended church, I've done my spiritual thing, rather than having a heart and a devotion for what God is saying and doing. It's that marriage of discipline, isn't it? Because yes. if you neglect the discipline part, you end up just sort of fading away. We yeah. all don't do anything without discipline. Yeah. But it's the if you don't go below that, below the surface of that, then yeah, yeah you're missing out on that real heart yeah. connection too. For example, Beck and I can say that we've organised to have date time every fortnight. Yeah. That's where we're at right now. That's what we can do. We would rather it be weekly, but right now it's fortnightly. And we've set that. It's in our calendar. It doesn't move. Does that mean that our date time is all set, that we're going to have a healthy marriage because we've done the thing that needs to be done? No, no, no. When it comes to date time, we are then Still need to engage connecting, with one another. engaged. Yeah. We want to do that. So, but does that mean that, oh, no, if you love each other, it will just happen? Stop it. Most of you are probably more religious with Netflix than you are with relationships. I just, I sort of just think of like, it's so funny, we have a friend, right, who's like, yeah, I don't do a calendar, like, I just do whatever I feel like type of thing and he's married with kids and that kind of thing. We're like, so how do we actually like track you down for lunch or dinner or something like that. Like when we do want to hang out, how does that work? And so I think without the organisation part, it's just so like, makes it harder. It does make it harder. <laughs> I have a great friend who will, I love meeting up with him, but sometimes he would just drop a text to me and say, so why haven't we met up in, 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 in Asia? It's like, well, you didn't ask, mate. You didn't organise anything. So how are we supposed to meet? Our lives do not intersect. We do not have natural intersection points. Yeah. And that's where we need to organise yeah. intersection points for our church. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, why can't you do that? Yeah. 
Why can't you, like the whole idea, I love the fellowship aspect, is about the sharing of faith. Why can't you say, hey, I'm actually discussing and learning something about this book of the Bible, and I've got questions. Who can I ask to have lunch and start discussing this? Yeah, um, I think you read just this morning, wasn't it, about how the early church, that whole action of um, being devoted to the teaching of the apostles daily. I've always wondered, how did that actually work? But Nate, um, I think it was just this morning, he read how they would actually go from work, they'd finish work at about 11 o'clock and then go for a siesta. And it was during the siesta that they'd actually yeah. pop in. Which and is, um, you know, siesta's meant for them to have a lunch and then have a nap. They went to receive teaching. <laughs> and that's what we should be like when we're gathering together. We want to meet each other. Someone got the wrong text somewhere. Have we already got a little bit over time? We All right, we've got to be quick. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's, that's a big thing. We organize yeah. meetings as we need. And then look, if you feel like there's certain aspects of our church that need meeting, great. Talk to us. Why? Help us to keep a finger on the pulse. It's not easy to always know where everything is at. We could talk a lot more about that. Um, but last question, Beck, how often should we be having communion? The Bible doesn't say. Oh, right. Um, so yeah, there's We're done. No <laughs> See you later. <laughs> there's no specification about how often, but Jesus talks about when you do. And so it's, there's this understanding that just like how when we fast, when we pray, um, we also take communion as a regular part um, as a church. And so here at Lyft, we like to receive communion not as a bit of a drive-by type thing, but we actually really like to create a space where sort of um, connects with the message and, um, yeah, so that communion isn't this thing of like, yeah, we're just doing the action, but we actually get the time to pause because in communion it's all about having a time to pause and to really think about what Christ has done, to confess our sin, to examine ourselves, confess our sin and offer thanksgiving to God. And so you can't do that, you know, just like that. We, we really like to create a space. So it's something that we think about every single Sunday and how we can work it in. So we do it as regularly as possible. As possible. And so on that lovely note, and I know our kids are sort of waiting to come in, but we did want to receive communion together this morning as a church. And so host team, thank you so much for helping us with that. And Ben, if we can have you up as well. Thank you, Ben. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Mum. Wonderful. And I love that today we are really celebrating the provision of God by, you know, we're seeing our momentum offering reveal shortly. Um, but I think this is such a wonderful time to actually first come before Jesus, offering him thanks and praise. Matthew 26, whoop. Verse 26 to 29 says, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So this morning, let's take the bread together. Once you've done that, you can take the cup. Jesus, we thank you that we can come to you 
We thank you that you've washed us clean by your blood that was shed on the cross for us. We thank you that by your stripes we are healed. Your life restores ours and it redeems us, God. Father, we thank you for the forgiveness of sin. And Father, we come to you knowing that we actually need that, that we are sinners, that we do fall short. And so, Jesus, I thank you that you clothe us in righteousness. And Lord, that in this moment we remember that. We remember what you've done, Jesus. And God, I thank you that in this life we can receive this life and we can continue to come back to the fount of Jesus Christ and receive life. But God, I thank you for that glorious destination that we have in you, that there will be a day in eternity that we drink this cup with you, that we have that celebration feast with you. And Lord, we await that day. We await that glorious day. And we thank you so much for it, God. We pray this in your name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Live Church or on Facebook at Live Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.